wife says me, far as I be knowin', haven't time to slack around in comfort all the year. So when we get a little time before our boat gets going, we head on down to the library and this is what we hear. Come on and look all around, there's plenty for to see. Make your own self right if all my love the library. Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. Today we have Diane Benson, who is reading one of her own pieces of work called The Three Days of Raven, from her book Spruce Tips in the Fog. This is Diane Benson. My thinket name is Lches. The Three Days of Raven. The faithful old Evinrude sputtered and gasped. It wasn't out of gas. He had enough oil, yet it wouldn't turn over. Henry held the limp starter cord in his leathered hands and with a true fisherman's determination gave it one more yank, a violent yank. He yanked the cord so hard that it burned and cut his hand. The throttle full out, the motor weakly sucked its last breath, and silence took over. The old man put his dark lips over his injury, tasting the salt, and sighed, as if resolved. He patted the Evinrude and spoke to it. You done good. You done good for me. 
He sat quiet, staring at the long whips of kelp that floated in bunches nearby. Sat in his twenty-foot skiff that faced the open sea. Sat twenty miles from the village, maybe two hundred yards past Apple Island. Sat in his skiff that his sons and his daughters bought for him. Bought for his eightieth birthday ten years ago, after his wife died, so he could still go fishing still get out on the waters as he had all his life, as he had as a boy fishing with his uncles. He rubbed his tired old eyes and took stock of his things. Life jacket, a fishing pole and tackle, a can of gas, his little pack with rain gear and socks, a canvas coat, a bottle of spring water, a baggie of smoked salmon, and four pilot bread crackers. He smiled wryly. Fishwoman did not visit him today. The boat began turning in circles. The waters had roughened. The flapping of the foaming sea sounded like a raven's song beat. Heya, heya, heya. And for a second, the old man imagined that it was his death song. He would be okay with that. That would be okay. It would be good to die this way. A man lives by the sea, dies by the sea. That would be all right. A slight breeze brushed over him, spreading sea's mist, serving a chill over his body. Maybe he better try his spare motor. It was dusk, and clouds had formed to the west. He decided to anchor before messing with the motor as the boat had begun to drift, so he cast the small anchor into the pot of kelp. It caught. Cold wet made his arthritic hands ache as he fumbled with the small cord on his spare motor. He yanked the cord, and the motor spun and wheezed as gas fumes and smoke filled his lungs. He coughed. He coughed a deep cough. He did not notice he still had a hold of the cord as he grabbed his chest. The motor seized as the cord was prevented from returning to its reel, and in the old man's attempts to control his cough, the little motor broke loose from its rusted brackets. He had meant to change them after he got the new boat, but he never did. They were still good, he had told his protesting sons. He should have listened to them. Fitful coughs hacked at his body while the little motor sunk, sunk into the darkness to the bottom of the sea, to the place of the sea lion people. His coughing subsided, but his pain was great. His heart hurt worse than any lung-seeking air, hurt worse than any cut through his body. What happens to the spirit? He remembered Richard asking when he was but 12 years old. His oldest son had sat with him on the docks while fixing fishnet, wanting to know where his spirit went after death. It was hot that day, and he had put down the nets and taken Richard to the end of the dock. He told him to follow the sun's rays down, see the sun's light digging down to different levels of the dark waters, strands of illumination. That light in the water is like your spirit. It depends on what kind of journey you had here, which level your spirit goes, he had told him. A seagull had landed in the middle of the waters while he was showing him this, and they had laughed. Was that little disruption by the bird an omen? 
then that his eldest son's spirit may one day disappear in the dark, the dark away from illumination? His jaw tightened, his chiseled teeth worn from years of biting through fish line and deer jerky squeezed back a rising lump, but his eyes betrayed the effort, and tears fell salty, swimming through the tan creases of his cheeks. Am I to live a life of an old man just so I could watch my children die? He gasped back sobs, and he hollered. He hollered to the sea. He hollered to the incoming fog. He hollered to the nightfall that was about to descend upon him. He hollered so loud, he woke up the sea lion people. Maybe he had been sleeping, but now the chatter was making him wake and face the fog and the cold. He tried to register where all this noise was coming from. Ha! Can you see? Ha! Ha! He squinted in the direction of the bow, in the direction of this voice. He could just make out something, black maybe. Oh, it was Raven. I could see, he answered back. No! 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 You don't see, said Raven. Then Raven flew up, straight up, as if lifting himself in the fog, like a buoy that has been pulled down and flies straight from the water. Why you talk to me this way? the old man asked. Are you here to help me get to my home? And he was wondering how Raven did that, how Raven could lift himself up like that. Must be thick fog, he thought. But the fog was around the boat and at the bow, where the old man sat was clear and clean and strangely dry. He noticed that he did not sit in the fog like Raven. Of course, Raven was sitting on the fog, it seemed. Ugh, I must be having funny dream, the old man mumbled to himself. Ha 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 ha, laughed Raven. Kushtaha is gone and they will visit you all. And with that, Raven disappeared. Kushtaka? The old man realized he was standing and carefully sat down in the very center of the boat. Kushtaka can take your soul. He did not want to be taken by no Kushtaka, by any half-man, half-otter creature who steals away with you. Stay clear of the edge of the boat, he cautioned himself. <laughs> then he chuckled children's stories he told his boys and his daughter when they were young so they would stay away from the water's edge so they would not drown. He chuckled at the silliness. This was not Kushtaka waters. He laughed out loud, feeling he might be just a little touched from sitting out here in the strange fog alone. He decided he needed to take a pee now over the edge of the boat. I'll take one of those pilot bread. Henry fell back in the boat in his fright. Luckily, he landed right on his life jacket. Oscani, he cried. You frightened me. He was so scared his fingers were thumbs and he hurt himself a little, trying to zip up his pants. You have to be careful, nodded the sea lion. Watch what you're doing. He rested his big furry head right where the little motor was supposed to be. Do you mind if I have one of your pilot bread? The old man struggled with the baggie, and with what felt like a long time, he took out a pilot bread and gave it to the sea lion. 
He was now beginning to think that maybe he was in between the spirit world and the physical one, a place of confusion, he surmised, before one has completed their journey. But was passing through this easy? Must not be over by a long shot. Who are you? he asked the sea lion, suspicious that maybe this furry creature was an escort of sorts that no one had mentioned before. You came to my village, stated the sea lion, crumbs following from his mouth. The old man thought about this, not wanting to be too hasty to respond. He thought it best to be sure his words were respectful. Maybe this creature held clan property and was high status where he came from. He wasn't sure, but he wanted no mistakes. It was always best to think this way when you first meet someone so that no bad will come to your family, to your clan, from your actions. There needed to be no more bad days, that was certain. Perhaps you can remind this old man the place of your village. I don't remember so good anymore, he said slowly, and glanced at the sea lion to see if his eyes said anything. The sea lion shook his head, then flipped backward and slapped the water with a booming force. The old man felt himself drifting, floating, up, down, he did not know. He could see nothing but darkness and the faint outline of bubbles everywhere. Was he now on his journey? Then he heard a voice, a deep-chested voice that seemed to come from nowhere and everywhere while he was suspended deep in the heart of a sea of dark bubbles. This voice only spoke to his heart, which confused his mind. It was Tlingit, and it was English. It was the language of everyone, but he could not speak these words. These words were like bubbles and carried him away to a place that was nowhere, and he felt himself slip away into unconsciousness. Something was stepping on his head. He could feel the strength of clawed toes hanging onto his thick gray hair and pressing into his scalp. He attempted to move his hand upward towards his head while slowly opening his eyes to daylight. The black bird hopped off his head and jumped onto his life jacket and stood there staring at him. The old man sat up and rubbed his head where the bird had stood. The sun was trying desperately to peek past the clouds that were hanging from a pale blue sky. A warm, southeasterly breeze caressed him, and he gazed at the bird before him. Yes, was it he asked the bird. Raven, how are you feeling? He thought maybe if he politely approached him, he could find out what was going on. The blackbird cawed softly, cocking its head and staring at the old man with what looked like little ears perked forward. The old man asked him again, but still only a caw came from the raven. He was puzzled. The raven continued to stare at him for another moment or two and then flew off to a nearby island. The old man looked up to see where the sun might be behind the clouds, trying to judge what time of day it was. It must be close to noon, he thought, since it seemed to be fairly high in the sky. But what had happened? He felt a stirring in his abdomen and realized he was hungry and that he needed to go to the bathroom very badly. 
He got up, his body stiff and sore, and unzipped his pants to urinate, and the sea lion came back to his memory. He finished his duty while watching the waters cautiously. Nothing appeared, just the dark green sea slapping itself against the sides of his skiff. He shook his head at himself and sat down with his dried salmon strips and pilot bread and pulled them out to eat. One pilot bread was missing. It must have been a good ten minutes that went by before he picked up a bite to put in his mouth. He wasn't sure what place he might be, although the surroundings appeared normal. Even the raven did not speak to him today, and he figured he must be completely in his physical presence now, and that that was the difference. Was he trying to force this life's journey to its end? He munched on his dried fish slowly, half wishing he had some ooligan grease to go with it. He was beginning to miss food's pleasures. He was beginning to think about the big birthday party that his remaining children wanted to give him next week. He had rejected and ridiculed the idea. His birthday was April 25, according to the missionary records. He wasn't sure that was accurate, but it did not matter to him. It had been celebrated 89 times now. Well, 88 Last year came and went in a fog. Margaret had spent 58 years of their lives together making him and all the family birthday celebrations. When he was a boy, the missionaries had taught them this thing, birthday party. It seemed like a good thing to adapt, and he always enjoyed it. But then Richard joined the ancestors on April 25. It would have broken Margaret. His heart throbbed a pain every time he thought of her. He chewed slowly and carefully. Then he closed his eyes and let himself feel her for a moment. He could see her cutting fish strips for a lunch snack with tea. He could see the bedroom where he would lay next to her, feeling her cool body next to his warm chest, her little soft hands, her gentle arms around him. It had always been that way. With her... The bed was always made, linen doilies scattered across the house furniture, and pictures of all the children through every decade of their lives, and pictures of their weddings filled the rooms. They had nine children and 32 grandchildren, and he couldn't remember how many great-grandchildren. Only one child, his youngest son, had never married, never fathered, he craved for Danny to find happiness. He and Danny had a fight just the other day, the day before he decided to take the skiff out. Danny wanted some idea of what to get him for his birthday, and he told his son he didn't want anything. There would be no more celebrating. Then Danny asked him to promise to go to the totem pole raising ceremony coming up in a few weeks, and he had told him no. He did not want to be in public showing off that's not our way, he had told him. If you are anyone of high caste, you do not have to prove it. People will know it. In the old days, he told him, we chose our words carefully. Now people go to these things just to hear themselves talk. I'm not going. Danny accused him of not going to anything since Margaret died. You never tell us the stories and you never go to the kuichs. You never teach me anything but fishing. You act like you don't want us to be singit. 
and Danny cried. He didn't know what to say to his 40-year-old son who seemed so lonely, so angry, so he had said nothing. You're just going to die a lonely old man, Danny shot at him when he left. That was his last words to him. A raindrop landed on his nose. He looked up and the sky was full of dark clouds. He pulled out his rain gear from the little pack and with pain shooting through his stiffened shoulders, he pulled on the rain jacket and pants. Rain became more obvious, coloring everything a darker shade with its light washing. He did not want to hurt Danny, Flora, his only daughter, none of them. But how could he face April 25 ever again? How could it ever be a birthday again when it was now a death day? Black clouds hovered over more black clouds, and light disappeared as if Raven had pulled down the blinds. It wasn't rain. It was sweat. It was sweat that made his wool shirt under his raincoat feel wet. He didn't feel well. He bobbed in the dark wetness, feeling the disorientation. He thought he heard a television, the Christian station, maybe the PTL club, jumping over some small white-capped waves, slamming scripture into the boat siding. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. He restoreth my soul. Why art thou so far from helping me? The old man struggled to hold up his head and focus on this. He had been taught the religion of the Protestants from the missionaries and had remained somewhat fascinated by this God and Jesus that the missionaries talked about. He had watched it on TV every Sunday for several years after Margaret died, until last April when he lost all faith. He often wondered how this Father God gave up his only son, it seemed to be all he could remember about this Jesus and his father. There must be a TV nearby. He thought maybe he could see the preacher in black standing in the distance, walking atop the water, coming towards him. Psalm twenty-two, fourteen: I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the mist of my bowels. He felt his head spinning and pain seize his intestines. He heard Richard's voice in unison with the preacher. Why hast thou forsaken me? He held his stomach and wanted to cry. I did not leave my son. I did not leave him. Nausea filled his head as he hyperventilated and he could now barely make out the black figure who was still speaking. My strength is dried up. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. Hast brought me into the death, death. Ha, ha, ha. Henry fell to the bottom of the boat, his face in an inch of water, his mouth and nose just above it. He could feel the sensation of floating again and see the dark bubbles. Raven's eyes were piercing his mind. He heard ravens cawing as clear as a church bell. No decision, indecision, no decision, indecision, caw, caw. His mind screamed, I want to be taken now, take me now. He felt as if he was slipping 
into internal darkness, the darkness of a dishonored soul banished between worlds. He yearned to be taken, for it to be over, but the falling helplessness continued, and the only words that came from him were, What you do to me? What you do to me? Everything became very still and quiet. He was not in his boat. He was somewhere but nowhere, and for what seemed a time too short, he was devoid of all feeling. Water sloshing in his ears woke him. He could feel the ills of his body. He tried to get up, but dizziness altered his vision and he could not focus. His stomach hurt. Two days he had not had a bowel movement. Perhaps an hour went by as he tried to get up off the floor of the boat. He took notice that he could have drowned in that little pool of water, but didn't, and took off the rain gear, stretching his canvas jacket over the ebon rood for drying, then hung himself over the boat to relieve himself of the blockage. All that came from him was thick black mucus, and he felt his insides turning over. He took a few ounces of spring water to his lips, then spread out his life jacket and raincoat and laid down on them and went to sleep. The sun stayed for several hours while he slept, coating him with a layer of dryness and warmth. When he came to, he did not move. Instead, he lay there, not wanting to move his pained body, wondering about what he remembered. It was more than dreams. He would not open his eyes. He did not want to know any more, see any more. He thought of Danny. He thought of Flora and her big, round-cheeked grandbaby. He thought of them all. Wouldn't someone notice he was gone? Were they looking for him? Had he chased them away from him in his grief? He dared to open his eyes, only to find nine sets of black eyes upon him. It was as if they were having a council meeting, chattering back and forth, their little ears moving and heads cocking and nodding in response. They did not fear this old man, he thought. He himself had been through too much to fear this strangeness. Nine ravens sitting around him, all looking at him as if he was the strange one. At one point he saw one groom another, and a couple who pecked and winged each other while still hanging onto the boat's railing. He thought maybe they must all be related. He could not move, so he lay there while they stayed put, watching him. The smallest raven sat alone just in front of him. He could have sworn the look in that raven's eyes were just like Danny's, slightly mischievous and sad. The old man pulled himself up and sat there in the bottom of the boat looking at all these ravens looking at him. Even though his movement to sit more comfortably disturbed the boat a bit, the ravens stayed put. So he began to talk to them. He began to tell them of things he remembered, things of his clan house, things he had not talked about in many years. He even sang a song, as much as he could remember of a song that was made to remember a girl who had disturbed a glacier, a girl that, even regardless of her mistake, her people would not leave her to die, but tried over and over to save her. He thought of that, the great love of the people 
and he told the ravens of it. For that time of telling, he forgot his pain and his hunger, and then he fell quiet. All the ravens were quiet. When he looked up, the sky was only slightly overcast, and when he looked forward from his boat, which turned around, he saw the rock formations on Apple Island. It looked just like the sea lion's head. He began to laugh. Was this place he was stuck, a village of the sea lion people? And he laughed. He did visit their village, and he never even knew it. He was lucky, he thought. It would be rude to visit unannounced. Then he ate his last pilot bread, giving a crumb to each raven. He didn't remember falling asleep, if to the place of dreams was even where he went. It seemed everyone was there in this big dream. The nine ravens, the sea lion, his children, and a host of others. He felt like he was dancing, dancing with someone, dancing with raven. He jolted but did not waken. Instead, he was soaring over his village, He could see the clan house of his crest, a place he had not been in too long. It was his duty to care for the clan house like a chief, as others would call it. He could remember the strength of his ancestors in it, and he felt a great stirring. Why was he here? It was all too late. But his flight did not end. He saw the boat that his father took him out on when he was so little and the achievement he felt when they pulled up layers of fish eggs on kelp and plucked abalone from the reefs. He could hear gumboot shells hanging from sinew, dancing in the wind. It filled his soul, and he wondered if this was a similar journey his ancestors made on occasion. It was like a heaven. He was dropping, dropping from the sky and landing, diving like light, Deep into the darkness of the ocean, he felt a great fear. Click! He screamed to his heart. No, I want to go back. Right then he saw the sea lion's face. The sea lion turned and swam into the dark. He wanted to follow the sea lion, but he could not see anything. Suddenly he did not feel his body. There was no pain. He was not wet, but he felt tears in his conscience. He was shaken and felt himself like a vulnerable child. He heard Richard's voice when he was a boy. Richard's voice filled him. I want to go home, Dad. And he heard a voice from within answer back, I'll take you home. Then light filled his presence and emptied his mind. A motor droned nearby as men were hollering. He was standing, standing in his boat. His body pale and sullen, he did not notice. He heard his voice telling them, Hey, Tletka, you hit my boat, I'm going to bust you. There was laughter. He caught the rope they threw his way. He could feel the roughness of the hemp fibers. He stood there bobbing in that little skiff, touching that rope with the magic of feeling, feeling his fingers on that rope. And when he looked up to the Coast Guard boat, he saw Danny grinning at him and a raven, a raven that circled over Danny, then landed itself on the bow of the skiff and sat in a ray of sunlight, a raven that opened his beak wide and sang. That was Diane Benson 
reading The Three Days of Raven, a creative work of her own from her book Spruce Tips in the Fog. And here's a few words with Diane. I moved to Petersburg two years ago now, and uh, I was actually in kind of a sad space, and um, my husband said, well, why don't we just take a little trip? Um, Where would you like to go? And I said, well, you know, I heard of this festival called Little Norway Festival. I've always wanted to go to that. So we came down and uh, for that, and in the course of being here on that visit, we thought just for fun, we'd look at houses, because everywhere we go, we'd like to look at houses just for fun. Except then we started talking about, why don't we move here? <laughs> <laughs> and if someone had said six months previous, you're going to be moving to Petersburg in Southeast, I thought they would have, I thought they were crazy. But... Um, I fell in love with the place. My best friend is from here, and so I had come down once a couple times before, but never really visited here. And uh, so that I'd performed here uh, with uh, Nakahiti Theater about 30 years ago, and so that was one visit, but it was just in and out kind of thing. And then when I brought my best friend's ashes down to bury her here and her where she wanted to be, um, her name was Tiny Phillips. And uh, so that I realized this is really a beautiful place and a great place for her to be put to rest. And then when we came down for the Little Norway Festival, I just fell in love with the people and the place. And... Being, um, you know, I never got to know my really that anything that much about my Norwegian heritage. Uh, I knew my grandmother who came off the boat from Norway. Okay. So I am thinking in Norwegian. And I like to say now that, you know, when people say, Why did you move to Petersburg? And they say, Well, I'm thinking and I'm Norwegian. Where else would I go? <laughs> but. Um, it's, I don't know, it just felt right, and it has felt right every day since. So nice. we're here to stay. This is our forever home. Well, I'm so glad to have you, and I um, have really enjoyed getting to know you, and it's been delightful. And I look forward to hearing more of your stories. I um, We do have Spruce Tips in the Fog, a copy of it at the library, And um, so you can check it out. Thank you, Diane. Thank you. This has been Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library.